Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. You might like to uh, open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, as the case may be, uh, looking at Acts chapter 10. Uh, Acts is uh, early on in the New Testament, if you flick your Bible open to kind of three quarters of the way through, um, and then flick through toward getting closer towards the end of the Bible, Acts is in there somewhere. Uh, We're looking at Acts chapter 10. This is uh, Rebecca Martinez. Rebecca was uh, reported missing November 18th last year. Uh, This uh, information says that she was last seen on November 12th, 2017. Her mother last spoke to her on November the 11th of that same week. She hadn't heard from her for six days, so it was her mother who actually reported her missing it. Um, So the missing persons unit, as they do, they put out a, a plea. They said, has anyone seen Rebecca Martinez? I don't know how quickly faces go on milk cartons in the United States. Do they still do that? Um... This uh, young woman has gone missing, uh, somewhat unusually, somewhat uh, fearfully. Uh, a great sense of uh, fear was around for this young lady, especially for, from her mum, of course. They obviously had a close relationship. Rebecca used to ring her mum on a regular basis, and after six days of not talking to her daughter, her mum was going off her tree. So they put out a plea, they, you know, public bulletins, news bulletins, all that kind of stuff, and they had dozens of calls, even hundreds of calls, even thousands of calls. Rebecca Martinez was uh, on The Bachelor, the reality TV show. Are you not getting that? She wasn't missing. Everyone had seen her on The Bachelor except her mother. Rebecca, um, sorry, that went over much better in my head. Um, Rebecca tweeted, Mum, how many times do I have to tell you I don't get cell service on The Bachelor? I don't know how she tweeted that, incidentally, but maybe they've got Wi-Fi, but not uh, data service. See, there's there's a notion around reality TV, and there's a lot of work convincing people what we want them to believe isn't it? Uh, reality TV shows. I heard of someone this morning, much to my horror, and I feel like I'm going to have to bring marriage counselling to the couple that sit and watch Married at First Sight. Uh, well, particularly, it's only one side of the couple that watch Married at First Sight. The other can't stand it and so leaves the building. Um, this idea of uh, a produced reality. I don't know how real the survivor... Is anyone into reality TV here? What show do you like, Steve? I'm a, ce- yeah, I'm, into, we're a, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Has anyone else watched that show? It's the only reality TV show I'll watch on a Sunday night. Uh, it's our family time. We actually have a competition about who will win. Um, but My Kitchen Rules, uh, MasterChef, um, what's the other one? First Dates, sorry, The Block. There's a reality, uh, yeah, that's so real, I'm sure. Yeah. What's, what's the other one? That Renovation Rescues or something like that. Does anyone watch The Pickers? That's not about picking your nose. That's about going looking for junk and reselling it. 
Um, yeah, lens into that one. So there's a whole scope of reality TV shows. I think Survivor's been going something like 10 years now. Um, convincing people about what the reality is, whether it's a produced reality, and we all have this sense of uh, what we believe uh, might be real or not. Uh, the produced ideas. I heard about My Kitchen Rules. It's not even their own kitchen. Um, you get to go into someone else's kitchen, you have to cook in someone else's kitchen. Uh, you get the impression when you go there that it's their house, but I read somewhere that's not actually true. And the scandal behind The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, the inside stories. I'm a celebrity is real and live. Um, they even put up in the bottom left-hand top of the screen, live 12.09pm, so it has to be true. Um, the problem is while we watch it on reality TV or we watch it on our shows, we do it personally as well. We convince people of the reality that we want them to know about ourselves. We convince people about our life. We spend a lot of time trying to communicate with people how significant we are, how busy we are, how important we are. And we're not always very good at being genuine. In a world of quick grabs, catchy headlines and fake news, uh, it can be difficult, can it not, to experience, to find, to encounter authenticity. That is, someone who is genuine, someone who is real, someone who is upfront. And we're in this constant pursuit of uh, authenticity. Um, if you're new amongst us today, or if you're reconnecting with the church, if you're reconnecting with faith, we do want to welcome you. And uh, if you're exploring what the relationship with Jesus is like, you've come at the start of the year where we're exploring who we are as a church and some of the values that we hold. This is what we want to be about, to be transforming our community in the name of Jesus. And we want to do that by being present. We want to do that by being authentic. We want to do that by being courageous and generous. We've got a framework. We've developed this framework that's not... Not everything, it's not a dot point, it's not a tick box list of all the things you must do to act like this. It's just a helpful guide so that we can continue to grow and expand. But the problem with being present and being authentic and being courageous and being generous is there's no real markers along the way. So in a world of being measured and in the world of uh, key performance indicators and outcomes and dollars and cents and people in and people out and money in and money out, the thing about these core values is that there's no real measurement for it. So it can be a little bit intangible. A little bit like uh, you think you've got a handle on something and it slips out of your grasp. And it can be constantly shifting and changing. But when we talk about authenticity, we get a bit of a gut feeling, don't we? I mean, most of us have probably been in a conversation where we're listening to someone and we're thinking, what a load of... Rubbish. But most of us have also sat in a room where we've sat with one or two people and we've thought, I need to get, them know, get to know them better. Where we've thought, this person is genuine and real and somehow I come alive when they're in the room because there's something that they offer me. I remember as a mechanic when uh, we used to sit in the smoko room. Uh, do they still call them smoko rooms? Um, and... Uh, some of the guys would tell stories, you know, some of the 30-year-old guys would tell stories and some of the other guys would say, if they have done all of that, they would have to be at least 85. It's hard to get a handle on what it is to be authentic and yet we all know and experience it. So we're exploring Acts chapter 10. 
um, for how we might want to grow and operate as a church, as followers of Jesus. What does that look like? Um, we were introduced to uh, Peter and uh, Cornelius last week. Now, Cornelius was, uh, we're told in the early verses that he was uh, a centurion of the Italian regiment. He was a man who was not known or not generally accepted to be a part of the church at the time, not part of the Jewish uh, heritage, not part of the Israel lineage. So he was a guy who was outside of God's plan, apparently. And yet uh, he had a relationship with God, he was praying to God, he was generous to the poor, he was generous to the temple as well. And then there's Peter, a guy who were introduced and we knew if we read the good news of Jesus, if we read the four Gospels, we hear Peter's name often. He's someone who followed Jesus. He was called out of being out of his business as a fisherman, called to follow Jesus. He caused Jesus some headaches, no doubt. But he was the one uh, who confessed Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the one on whom Jesus said on this confession, or because you know this, because you understand this, it's been revealed to you by the Father, uh, I will build my church on this rock. Peter was known as the rock, either because he was thick or because he was solid. I'm not sure. But, um, and we discovered through Peter and Cornelius these very two very different experiences of life and faith and engagement with Jesus. Peter had spent time with Jesus. Cornelius hadn't spent any time with Jesus, but had this understanding that it was something deeper and richer happening in his world. And they discovered that... Um, they had purpose when they were present with God, when they were present to opportunity, and when they were present with others. This enormous purpose came about. But what we learned early on in um, Acts chapter 10 is that God is up to something. God is up to something surprising, and God is up to something outside of what we might normally expect. So we read these words in chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. One day, at about three in the afternoon, uh, he, Cornelius, had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa uh, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, uh, just to clarify which Simon, whose house is by the sea. So what we learn is that this guy Cornelius, who normal everyday church people of first century in this environment, in this culture and context, would not have been expecting to encounter a vision of God. This is not how God operates. God operates within a temple. God operates according to this standard. God operates to this tradition and this heritage. God operates according to these laws. And these are the laws that I'm safe with. These are the laws that I operate. But God is already up to something before he's already invited the church, that is Peter, to be involved. See, I think this is the starting place of authenticity. I think this is the starting place of what it means to be real, to be genuine, to see that all we are might not be all that God has in store. And so this is a difficult place to be because what we have to accept here is that all that we've pursued, all that we're chased after, all that we've explored is suddenly not the complete nature of our life. And some people, you'll hear some conversations where people will talk, I feel like there's something missing in my life. There's something not quite right about my life. They can have it all. They can have a nice house. They can have the newest car. They can have the greatest job. They can have the biggest advancements and they can still look you in the eye and say, 
I'm not sure. This is a difficult place to get to because we realise if we're real with ourselves, if we're authentic, that despite all that we build in our world, without God there is still something missing. So we read, if you go through uh, chapter 10, that Cornelius sends men to Peter. That's uh, Simon Peter, the fisherman, uh, who is not Simon the Tanner, uh, just in case, uh, no relation to Damien and Hannah either, just in case you're getting confused here. But these men that Cornelius sends to Peter's house, uh, he invites them in, they hang around, they spend overnight in conversation. Uh, Peter then goes back with these men, back to Cornelius, where Cornelius has gathered not just himself, he's not just sitting in his own little box waiting, but he has gathered a large group of people to hear. See, Cornelius has gathered other people who, for all intents and purposes, are probably still outside the church, still outside what God is up to or what God is expect, what many would expect God to be doing. He's gathered other people in expectation that something is about to happen. I'm not sure if you're quite capturing the significance of that. Cornelius, someone who many would have said is outside the will of God, has gathered a large group of family and friends with the belief that God is up to something. Even before the church gets there. Even before the right followers of Jesus get there. And what we discover, though, is Peter is incredibly genuine and real, authentic, realising where he once was and realising that there was actually more to discover and realising that he was moving to a new place and that God was awakening him to something new. Because I want to suggest to you today that authenticity brings awakening. Presence, being present brings purpose and authenticity brings awakening. Cornelius explains his events of being up on, uh, in prayer at three o'clock um, earlier, a couple of days earlier. Uh, he explains why Peter is there and then Peter in cha- uh, verse 27 of chapter 10. Uh, while talking with him, as we said, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people and he said to them, you are well aware... This is, this, I imagine this is pretty strong language. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And a few verses later in verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. See, Peter could have stood there and said, no, this is not how we've done things in the past. He could have had his vision from God and decided that, no, that's not according to the law that I know. Peter could have stood there and said, no, that's not how we operate in our church. He could have stood there and argued, but Peter instead was authentic enough to say, hang on, I'm discovering that there's actually more than I've ever known before. Peter chose a faithful life, an obedient life. Peter was secure enough in who he was in Jesus that he was faithful enough to step into a new awakening. Paul writes uh, another 
uh, early follower of Jesus, member of the church, or beginner of the start of the early church, he writes in Romans chapter 3, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. All have been separated from God. All fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all have fallen short of what God has intended for us. Every single one of us. And all are justified or made right freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. <clears throat> when our, our identity is found in pursuing everything apart from God, we are dying. When our identity is found in pursuing everything apart from God, we are dying. When we're buying into the voices of the culture, our world telling us what is real, what is necessary, what is fulfilling. When we cover ourselves in being busy, pursuing the latest and the greatest, we are missing out on the glory that God has in store for us. One of the most painful stories, I think, in the Gospel is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. I'm going to read it from the Message Translation just because I think it really speaks clearly. Jesus told this next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. So this is Jesus telling the story. One a Pharisee, that is a religious leader. The other a tax man. In other words, a cheat, a liar, a thief. Someone who sold himself out to the Roman government. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I wonder what we would say today if we thought we had a higher moral compass than others. I fast twice a week and I tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man... The liar, the thief, the cheat, the guy who'd sold himself out from the kingdom of God into the government, had made his way into the temple. He slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands. He's not daring to look up and he says, God, have mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Forgive me for I realise that I fall short of your glory. I fall short of everything that you have in store for me. And Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, uh, this tax man, not the other, went home, made right with God. Now get this, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. See, at some point we have to be genuine enough, authentic enough, real enough with ourselves that we realise that apart from God, we're missing something. And it's a difficult place to get to. But when we recognise who we are, we're invited to be awakened to all that God has in store. See, we settle way too easily for what we can cope with rather than trusting for what God wants to give us. In Mark chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. We often struggle with that because we think that's about possession and we think that's about finance and security. And actually Jesus is saying, hey, if, you, if, you're willing, if you're willing to trust me, if you're willing to explore who I am, if you're willing to receive what I offer, I've got more to give to you. But you have to accept that you don't have all the answers. 
It's a tough word, isn't it? See, authenticity is an invitation to healing, it's an invitation to renewal, discovering uh, the good news that is in Jesus. Um, We get to tell a story of what God has done in us and continues to do in us. Um, This is a real tension. This can be really, really difficult. And I I struggle with this because um, um, there's an element about my, my call and about my job and about the role that I have where people look to me and they expect that I know what I'm doing all the time. And people expect that I can have all the answers all the time. And I've actually been criticised at times because people catch a glimpse of who they think I am because I stand up here and, so, and because I tell stories and share stories of myself and my family every now and then. I get criticism every now and then because people tell me that it's all right for you, Simon, you don't understand because you've got the perfect life. I've never said that. And yet that's how people hear it and read it. And actually one of the most difficult realisations to come to was my own struggle with my own mental health and the the struggle and the hardship and the owning up to the fact that I had depression and still struggle with it at times. Because to own up to that means that you get some insight into me that I might not be comfortable all the time with you having. And there's been times where I've caught flack for that too. Because I've told my story, because I've shared my story of mental health and depression and the effect that that's had on me, people have chosen to compare that. People have chosen to um, dismiss it because it might not be as bad as their story. People have chosen to criticise me for it. Some people don't understand it because I should be completely healed in Jesus' name. And yes, I would hope so. I long for that. I hate the fact that I have to take medication at times. So that you can have, on the one hand, people who think, no, you should never take medication. And, uh, you know, because Jesus can heal you. And yes, that's what I believe. And on the other hand, you're a mess. And then you get to stand up here. And I know that if I didn't take the medication at times, it's a pretty messy place to be. Now, normally I'd say, you can ask my wife how messed up I am, but don't go and ask her this afternoon. So it's risky. Being authentic is risky because you are trusting yourself to someone else that you're not sure what they'll do with it. Yeah? But I can tell you a God who is faithful. I can tell you a God who is uh, not judgmental, not condemning and not interested in comparing. I can tell you of a God who will still continue to say, despite that struggle, despite your questions, despite your uncertainty, despite your longing and your own sense of what the heck is going on at times, I've got you. And that's a battle because every now and then, we got, we, and we all do it, we all think, I've got to get this under control, I've got to fix this, I've got to sort this out, I should be able to do this. But it's coming to that place where we go, actually, no, God's got more, but I have to be okay with myself to start with. And that might mean I actually have to be okay with the sense of mess that I'm in. 
Paul again writes to the Corinthian church and he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't like talking about our weaknesses though, do we? Because it owns up to something. But when we own up to our weaknesses, we discover more. See, we want to create a, a culture where we are safe enough to be messy. I have no idea what the people overseeing these children were doing. These are not my children. One of my children was offended that I didn't have a photo of them in this state. Um, so you've got to be comfortable enough in the church to be a little bit messy. Where we are not convincing one another of fake news about our life, but awakening each other to who we are in Christ. See, it's tiring going through life thinking and convincing people that we have it all together all the time. See, when we think we have it all together, we're actually missing out. And following Jesus is an invitation to discover the fullness of who we are. In all our frailty, in all our weakness, in all our humanity, in all our mess. In all our questions, in all our uncertainty, the opportunity to discover more and to have more given to us. So I guess the question though is, is how do we do that? How do we create safe places? Because a number of you will say, yeah, but Simon, you don't understand. I've tried. I know. And that's why I told my story. We've tried. And you get burnt every now and then. Yep, that's right. The same that you've burnt people every now and then. The same that I've burnt people every now and then. But if we stop being authentic, then what are we offering each other? And what are we willing to discover in God? And who are we pointing to if we're not being authentic? If we think we have to control everything, if we think we have to have all the answers and have everything neatly put together, we're actually calling ourselves our own God. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to solve everyone's problems. We don't even have to understand everyone's problems. I mean, it's not meaning we have to be pithy and simplistic about it and simply say, oh, trust in Jesus, it'll be okay. They're there. Oh, it's rubbish. But maybe our life groups could be a safe place. Maybe mentors, maybe our journals, maybe going into the heartbeat of God and our Father and saying, God, I've been hurt, I'm in a mess, I can't control this anymore, it's not working. Authenticity gives us the capacity to be awakened to something new. And don't just go up and ask people for accountability. You can have accountability till the cows come home um, or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first. Um, you can ask for accountability. So you can go up to someone and say, you know, Tim, I want you to ask me next week uh, if I've, let's do something simple and not too uncomfortable, if I've read my Bible every week, every day. So Tim comes up to me next week and says, Simon, have you read your Bible? Oh, no. Okay, great. I'm accountable. Great. Next week, Tim comes up. Simon, did you read your Bible this week? Oh, read it three days. Okay, great. What if we said, what if accountability was actually, Tim comes up to me and says, Simon, have you read your scriptures this week? That's what you wanted to do. You've asked me to keep you accountable. 
Um, how are you going with that? No, didn't read it this week. Now, he can walk away at that moment or he can press in a little bit deeper and say, what happened in your week that you weren't able to do what you said you wanted to do? Now I've got to get real, don't I? Now I've got to discover what the weakness in me is. Do you understand the difference? You fell on? What's the blockage? What's the barrier? How can we help you overcome that? How can I cheer you on? That's a safe place. That's the kind of place I want to be a part of, yeah? See, authenticity brings awakening. It moves us from hopeless to hope-filled. It moves us from shame to freedom or being forgiven. It moves us from brokenness to being restored. It moves us from being lost to found, guilty to redeemed, isolated to welcomed, lonely to belonging, blind to seeing, deaf to hearing, pride to humility, misery to joy, and seeking approval to finding our identity in Christ. That's what it is to be authentic. That's how it can move us. If we're thinking our life is under control and we have everything our need, we need and we just got everything in our place, we have made ourselves God. We have made ourselves to be our own idols. Story in John chapter 9 is the story of a blind man who received sight and uh, the Pharisees, religious leaders, questioned about who did this, how did this happen and uh, they... Um, they hear Jesus talking and they hear Jesus at the end of this chapter and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. <laughs> that sounds promising. Let me put it another way. Those who are willing to recognise that they don't have it together will see great things and those who think they have it all together, they're already blind. Some Pharisees, religious leaders who were with them, heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You have made yourself more important than you think you are. Once you have seen, it cannot be unseen. And once you have heard, it cannot be unheard. The blind man in John chapter 9, he stood before people being questioned, being criticised and he said, look, I don't know much but this I know, I know I was blind but now I see. We don't need to explain everything but we can have confidence that we can point to Jesus. He is the one who guides me, he is the one who sustains me, he is my strength when I am weak, he is my hope when I am in despair, he is my salvation. Thanks team. I don't know, do you want to be a part of an adventure? Presence brings purpose. Authenticity brings awakening. Following Jesus brings, awakens us to new things. Confessing our chase after religious piety, piety self-righteous behaviour, confessing our chase after status, wealth, pleasure, just for the sheer sake of it because we want to build ourselves up. And the only thing that, all those things can be taken away. All those things can be taken away. The only thing, the only thing that cannot be taken away is my hope in Jesus. <laughs>